0: My friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit, we ask you to comfort us as we consider facing judgment. And we ask you to encourage us as we consider handling scoffers in our lives. We ask that you would show us by your you would show us by your spirit, your grace and your patience and your love. We ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. Ah, so before I jump into the sermon, yeah, Casey said, uh, and being the stated clerk of the presbytery and BCO Nazi that I am, I am but a mere assistant pastor, uh, lonely as it may be, not an associate. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that means, it doesn't matter, don't worry about it. Anyway, uh, yeah, my name is Wes Martin, uh, I've been around Oklahoma City for a while, uh, I'm up at Heritage now, and now that you have some idea of who I am, let's talk about Second Peter. Uh, you know, the passage we just read is going to make a lot of people very uncomfortable, because when we start to talk about judgment, Americans, Westerners, begin to squirm. Because that doesn't sound very nice, right? And especially if you have a lot of non-Christian friends and family, which I do, you don't like bringing up judgment, right? Because that's a conversation stopper. But Peter does not think of judgment as something to be worried about talking about here. In fact, if anything, Peter here seems to consider judgment something that is meant to encourage Christians. Right? He's not worried he's going to offend, but rather he wants to bring it up to encourage Christians in the face of what he calls scoffers. And Christians face a lot of scoffers, right? Mockers, jeerers, hostile skeptics. And let's be honest, we don't always respond well when that comes up. Um, You're tired. You're uh, maybe scared and insecure. You start to want to fight fire with fire. Oh, they hit me, I'm going to hit them back. That's the opposite of turning the other cheek, right? And Christians can start to feel hopeless when we see so many doubters around them. Some of us get discouraged. I know Christians that are discouraged because they look at sort of social values going in some direction they don't recognize in our society. They see unethical practices being condoned by the government and society as just normal. And they just see outright injustice and evil throughout the world. And all of these are legitimate frustrations, real things to have some feelings about. And uh, often, people will tr- either talk about judgment and draw scoffers, or they themselves will just give up on Christianity and become scoffers. Right? The, the very people who perpetuate these evils are normally scoffers about Christianity. Well, we don't need all that Bible stuff we know what's right. And this passage is here to give everyone hope. Everyone hope. Whether they're sort of into the Bible or not, the hope this passage gives us is the hope of the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Because there will be scoffers, but Jesus is returning to bring Judgment with purifying fire, and that's good news. Now, I know you, you go, Good news, that sounds harsh. Jeez, Casey Brown is a fire and brimstone preacher. Ugh. But, and I do, I want to talk to people that may be troubled by talking about judgment and the wrath of God, um, because I think there's a way we can talk to our unbelieving friends. Uh, who name judgment as a reason for doubt about judgment that actually hopefully will encourage them and help them see the beauty, the, help them see the good news of judgment. And I want all of us uh, to hear what Peter says about hope and treating other people better because of the wrath of God when we deal with wranglers against God and walk in the way of God. And yes, that is our three points because I'm a good Presbyterian. right? The wrath of God, the wranglers against God, and the way of God. First, the wrath of God. Uh, The wrath of God is real. Uh, There it is. The wrath of God is real. Now, if you're offended by that, stop and hear me out, okay? Uh, The wrath of God is real, and no matter what you think about Christianity, we all want God's wrath to be real. Let me prove my point. Let's pick an evil evil in the world. And let's, let's try and be fair. Let's pick an evil that most I'm going to say everyone in this room at least is going to agree on. I think Republicans and Democrats are going to uh, agree on it. I think Christians and non-Christians are going to agree on it. And it's a dark topic. But it's very real in our world, and that is child sex slavery. You want people perpetrating that sort of evil put down. You want bad things to happen to those people as a consequence. Of what they're doing, because right now they're getting away with it. And if you've done any sort of uh, you know work with those who have experienced sexual trauma, and I have, you know that at some level there is no price any evil purveyor of that sort of vile behavior could pay that would ever make ever make right what they've done wrong. And if you're like I was, you look at that sort of evil child sex slavery, and you just become a scoffer, right? That's, I, I grew up that way, going, there can't be a God. If there were a God, why would he allow this? Where is the promise of his coming? All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, the scoffers uh, that Peter's talking about said.
1: And maybe like
0: me, you'll make the emotional and illogical misstep, God cannot possibly be real because this evil exists. The problem is, is that assumes a lot of things we cannot possibly prove. For instance, if there is no God, who says they need to be punished? Well, we do. That's evil. Yes, what's right for you isn't necessarily what's right for me, man. How could you? How can you? But in reality, I want to say for people who object to that, they're really showing through the image of God, right? We all want those people to be punished, and we're confused that there are people in the world that are that wicked. And the Bible says, you know what, there is punishment coming for those people. And what's more, there's actually a hope way beyond what we can imagine, right? We just, we just want to see evil punished. And the Bible says God will really make right what they've made wrong, because that's how good and powerful he is. But the reason we immediately, you know, everyone, Christian or not Christian, feel something against evil is because we're made in the image of God. And we have a built-in sense of justice. That's the image of God in us. And all you have to do is spend time with a child, and it will not be long until someone does something and they cry out to a parent, that's not fair! Because, yes, little children, you have a sense of justice too—righteous indignation about the Nintendo. Oh. We are born with a sense that wrongdoers need punishment and wrongs need to be made right, and that is as it should be. And when it doesn't Happen the way we think it out. We cry foul. We cry out for justice. We want to see it made right. And we want someone to pay. And you know what? That instinct is right. Whether we like it or not. Whether we're willing to use this language or not. We all want the wrath of God. I keep saying it with a fake Scottish accent for some reason. The wrath of God. Right? We, we want that to come down on evildoers. And I know I'm silly because of my personality, but I, I am saying that in all seriousness. We all want the wrath of God to come down on evildoers. And if you are disturbed by the bad things you see in this world, that's right. It should You should be. And Peter wants to comfort you because he says wrongs are going to be made right and justice will be served at the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And that's good news for all of us. Because however you have been wronged, whatever has been done to you, I cannot tell you it's going to be the way you want it. I cannot tell you it's going to be in the time frame you want it. But I want you to know God will expose all and make all things right, maybe in better ways than you know. Because he's done it before. All right, Peter says in verses six and seven, the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. That by means of these, the world that then existed was de- and that um, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So here, Peter is calling back to Genesis 6-9, through what Christians call Noah's Flood. And it's not the first time it's come up in Peter's letters. He talked about it in, his, in 1 Peter, uh, the other letter he was referring to. And basically, in Genesis, uh, humanity had become so wicked and corrupt that God was sad he had made it. And so he wiped humanity out with a flood, only sal- saving a select And now, again, things don't get distracted by whether this was a worldwide flood or a local flood or 5,000 or 50,000 years ago. That's not Peter's point. Peter's point is,
1: God saw evil
0: and he did something about it. Is it what you or I would have done? Is it the way we would have done it? I don't know, but... If God is really God, maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe he's better than we are. Which, of course, also means maybe he lets our circumstances go the way they do because there's something good that we cannot understand. That's not always comforting, but it is true. And we need to know that. And we need to look at the flood, and we need to say, I may not understand what God has done or why He's done it the way He does it, but God has clearly demonstrated He cares about justice, and He has done something about evil, and so He will do something about the evil that disturbs me or oppresses me too. There's comfort for us in the flood. Evil will be destroyed. Ungodliness will be done away with forever. And what will remain will be a renewed creation that is finally all that God meant for it to be formed by God's word with peace, purity, joy. The coming judgment, my friends, is the inauguration of creation as the paradise it was always meant to be and that we all long for. But my friends, that paradise, that end of evil and that everlasting life only come through purifying fire. And maybe you hear that and you get nervous because you know your own evil. Maybe people here know what you've done, maybe they don't. But you're tender-hearted. you're full of shame, you're full of guilt, you're full of nervousness about things like judgment because you know what you've done. And your conscience constantly bothers you. And to you, I point to verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is not judgment meant to squash you. This is judgment meant to free you. God desires all people to be saved. And has given Jesus Christ as a ransom for all. A payment for the price we owe for our wrongdoing. And that's all throughout the Bible, by the way. In Ezekiel, God is clear, if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. In Jesus Christ, your sins can just be forgotten by God. So you have no fear because God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, so turn and live. The Apostle Paul writes similarly, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Friends, whatever guilt you feel, Hear this. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Your sins are forgiven through the cross. Your shame is washed away by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your dignity is restored. And if you feel guilty or condemned, you don't have to be any more. And if you want judgment to become encouragement, look to Jesus Christ. Turn to Him as your Savior, because there the penalty for our sin has been poured upon Jesus at the cross. And if you turn to Him in faith, you can know His love and fear no more. In Christ, judgment becomes encouragement, because you know that you are no longer under that coming wrath in the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But in Christ, you are counted as righteous. You will get all the benefits of seeing that beautiful coming glory without facing the penalty. That's the good news of judgment. But some are still going to scoff at that. They're going to hear about wrath. And they're going to hear about needing to turn to Jesus. And they're going to say that's narrow. And they're going to become wranglers against God. Wanting to get all this good news gone. See, the scoffers here in this passage seem to have some knowledge of the Old Testament. They've heard the Bible stories, but they either don't understand or more likely don't believe what uh, what Peter says God has done. So Peter says in verse 5 that these scoffers deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens and earth existed long ago. That the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that God then brought judgment through that water these scoffers know the stories but they reject them they deliberately, willfully refuse to believe the biblical truth because they don't want it to be true it would be inconvenient for them they would have to change their lives they would have to spend their money differently, they would have to use their bodies differently than what their desires call them to And so they won't really credibly even consider God's judgment or God's good news. But they reject it all without consideration so that they can follow their sinful desires. How many people do you know? Or maybe this is you. That just won't really consider it, right? You got hat answers about why Christianity is not true so that you don't have to really engage. You don't want to have to do what the church says you have to do, and so you won't really consider it. You just ridicule it, make fun of it, ignore it, and make yourself feel superior so that you don't have to consider whether or not it's true. We all run into people like that. Whether it's, I just like swallowed my tongue. Whether it's some scholar trying to convince us Christianity isn't true, whether it's a neighbor looking down their nose at us because our silly, superstitious beliefs, or like these scoffers, those who hear of judgment and just laugh as they continue down a road of destruction. When we face these people, my greatest hope is that knowing judgment is coming, and knowing God desires all to be saved, that you will continue to pursue those people. Not trying to win in some fight against them, But rather, I hope that knowing about judgment, we will default to grace and patience with those scoffers. Rather than self-defense, bravado, and beating or one-upping them. In short, when you run into those scoffers, turn the other cheek. Be nice. You're not supposed to say be nice in a sermon, but... Forget the rules. Be nice to the scoffers because judgment is coming. And remember, the reason judgment hasn't yet come is because God is still going to save some of those scoffers. God's love is still for them. Forget God's judgment is coming for you. God's love is coming for them and for you. Because God still has work to do in us too, right? As Peter says in verse 8, uh, which pushes back against our impatience to, or, or desire to win, see results, our judgment right now. Peter says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. God is waiting on his judgment for the sake of many whom he intends to save, but also because he's still at work in us. We show grace to others because we desperately need grace. And it has been shown to us Christians. God is so patient with us who were once his enemies through sin, so we ought to be patient even with those who currently persecute wrong and scoff at us. So wherever you're facing that situation in your life, I want you to Take this, put that person's face in your mind and remember these truths about that scoffer. So that hopefully when you see them on Wednesday at 3 p.m., you will show them the same grace you have been shown. In 1 Peter, Peter continues to instruct us about how to answer those who ask for a reason that the hope. Ask us for a reason for the hope that is in us. And by the way, he's talking about, if you go back and read First Peter, the context is, he's dealing with scoffers here too. Peter said, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's how you need to answer them on Thursday at noon the Apostle Paul said something similar in Colossians. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And so let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's how you ought to deal with that neighbor when you get home this afternoon. So what does that all look like? Be nice. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, it looks like rejoicing in hope being patient in tribulation, and being constant in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Invite the scoffers in. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not win the social media fight. Don't fight the people in the comment sections, please. Even if you win, you lose. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your scoffer is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I have been describing is, in fact, the way of God. But to respond this way is challenging, because it means that as we face scoffers, as we are uncomfortable or angry at scoffers, we have to constantly remember the way of God which is Jesus Christ who shows us grace. As one guy said, you know, it's not sufficiently considered that men more frequently require to be reminded than informed. I hope I'm not telling you anything new today. I imagine I'm not, because I, uh, I bet Casey preaches this every week. But we've got to remember this on Wednesday at 5 p.m., Right? Reminding and remembering is why the apostle Peter says he's writing this letter in verses one and two. This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. Woo, boom, boom. boom. Mind, remember, mind, reminder. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles that judgment is real. Remember all I said in the first letter, Peter says, about being born again to a living hope. Remember what I told you about Jesus' suffering for your sins. Remember the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Remember the call to be holy. Remember the futile ways of your forefathers in which you lived and how you've been freed from that and made stewards of God's grace to give it to others. Remember that we told you these scoffers were coming, so that remembering where you've come from and expecting them, you can respond with grace, with gentleness, and respect. But that's hard to do, right? Our natural tendency is to be like Bruce Willis in Disney's The Kid. One person laughed; the rest of you all looked blank. (laughs) Parents, you're all failures. Let me shame you right now. That's a joke. Oh my goodness. Right. All right, so in Disney's The Kid, Bruce Willis is this type A, high-functioning businessman consultant who loves no one but himself. He thinks very highly of himself and no one else. He's successful, and he's ready to correct anyone that comes across with no grace or tolerance for anything less than his version of perfection. He's like some, you know, jerk-stated clerk that corrected the pastor about what the BCO says. Well, at least Casey laughed. Right? And then suddenly, Disney magic, his 8-year-old self, time travels through his 40-year-old doorstep. And Bruce Willis is horrified to remember who he was. Because he's ashamed of who he was. He was fat and cowardly. Not to mention horribly broken because his mom had died, leaving him with his angry, alcoholic father that led him to grow up and be an angry man with no grace for anyone. Bruce Willis had internalized all of his father's anger, which turned into anger at himself for being a loser, and he had vowed to become better and hold everyone else to the same standard. But in doing so, he lost his humanity. He lost grace. He became a ridiculer and scoffer of anyone who believed in showing grace to others' flaws, including the the, the sweet gal that's got a crush on him. Right? But as he remembered who he once was, as he faced himself and what he had become, through remembering his own sin and pain and weakness, he began to see how much grace he needed. He began to show it to his younger self, He began to remember how much grace he needed to really get where he is now. And he found healing there. Total sidebar that has nothing to do with this passage. Maybe that's the sort of healing you need. Maybe you need to forgive your younger self. Because God's wrath was coming against your sins then. But in Jesus Christ, those things are forgiven. And there's healing for you now. But definitely coming back to this passage, as he began to realize the grace he needed, he began to be able to show it to others again. But he couldn't do that as long as he didn't remember who he was and how much grace he had needed to get where he is now. So, friends, remember what Jesus has done for you in his life and his death and his resurrection. To rescue us from the wrath of God. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, has rescued us from the wrath of God that is real. So we can show grace to wranglers of God. So that they may be saved and walk with us in the way of God. For those who know grace, the forgiveness of sins, and the message of judgment. Judgment is an encouragement and comfort because it means that Jesus Christ is coming to put all right and maybe in better ways than we can currently imagine. He's going to bring paradise and there is going to be justice or there's going to be grace and forgiveness just like we've already received. And creation itself will be made better than we can currently fathom and there will be no more suffering or scoffers anymore. And we too will be purified. No more struggles, yet without condemnation for our sins. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus Christ, we who trust in him will be purified without destruction, and we now can participate in that, in our own repentance of sin and seeking holiness. And we have that hope of forgiveness and purification for all others too. Yes, even scoffers. And that's why judgment is good news. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that there is judgment coming. Not because we desire to see any face your wrath, but because it does mean there will be justice in the face of real evil. We ask you to save those who have yet to repent those who have yet to find forgiveness of their sins. And we ask that you would remind us by your spirit each and every day of your grace and love for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Your never-failing providence sets in order all things, both in heaven and on earth, and one day that will be done perfectly. But for now, put away from us all hurtful things and give us those things that are profitable for us. All this we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever.